they have some notable members. We'll get to that later. But first, I mean, maybe we can just talk about the origins of yeah. uh, Rael's belief system and his revelation because he is basically a UFO contactee. So he claims. Yeah. But before that, he, you know, this this came kind of out of left field for him because he was born, I think, was he born during World War II and had kind of an absentee father. I think his, his father was a French Jew who was like hiding out in the region where he grew up and had an affair with his mother, but then left to go back to his family when the war ended. So he didn't really have much of a relationship with his father growing up. I guess it was very like, kind of like conservative Catholic town. He ditched, I think, high school and went off to Paris uh, as a teenager and got a guitar and started playing, uh, started being kind of like a, you know, playing French chansons, I guess, mm-hmm. and became like, like, yeah, I think he put out a couple records and like appeared on TV a few times. He wasn't like a star, but he had a little bit of a thing going and after a few years and then he got into race car driving, which is like a huge lifelong passion of his. And he kind of got into it by starting like a, like a race car magazine called Autopop mm-hmm. and in the very early seventies. And then also like use that to kind of get car companies to like loan him race cars and then, start racing himself but then the 1973 OPEC oil crisis happened and I guess the French president at the time outlawed like street racing uh, competitions in France so at this time in 1973 he I think he was married at this point and had like some young kids and was kind of at a crossroads because like his whole industry I guess he failed to be a successful singer he had this magazine, but then that got all fucked up when racing was kind of shut down. And it is at this point in 1973, I think in December, where he's wandering out in uh, Ufore, uh, you know, near where he lived. And he purported uh, to see a UFO land and an ET get out. Let me just see if there's a pat, like if Susan J. Palmer. Uh, I think that we might even be able to like turn ourselves to the oh, uh, Le words livre of qui dit la yeah, vérité. Yeah, the, the book, book that tells, that the, tells truth. the truth. Yeah, I think we might be able to uh, turn to the the man himself. Uh, the primary he, source. Why not? Yeah, you know, he, let's hear what Ryle yeah, had to say. He writes that uh, ever since I was nine years old, I have had but one passion motor racing and much like Aquino other people love cars I guess that's a popular uh, passion yeah (laughs) I founded a specialist motorsport magazine in 1970 simply to be able to live in the environment of a sport where man is constantly trying to surpass himself while striving to surpass others since my early childhood I dreamed of one day being a racing car driver following in the footsteps of someone as famous as Fangio I've never heard of Fangio, but okay. Thanks to the contacts made through the magazine I founded, I was given the opportunity to race, and about 10 trophies now adorn my apartment as a result of those races. On the 13th of December, 1973, however, I went to a volcano overlooking Clermont-Ferrand in south-central France. I went more to get a breath of fresh air than to take a drive in my car. My legs were itching after a full year following the races from circuit to circuit, almost always living on four wheels, so to speak. The air was cool at the time, and the sky was rather gray with a background mist. I walked and jogged a little and left the path where my car was parked, aiming to reach the center of the crater called Peu de la Soleil, where I often went for picnics with my family in the summer. 
What a superb and breathtaking place it was to think that thousands of years ago, right where my feet were standing, lava had spurted out in incredibly high temperatures. Decorative volcano bombs can still be found among the debris. The stunted vegetation resembled that of Provence in France, but without sunshine. I was just about to leave and look for the last time toward the top of the circular mountain, which was formed by an accumulation of volcanic slag. It reminded me how many times I slid down those steep slopes as if I was on skis. Suddenly in the fog, I saw a red light flashing and a sort of helicopter was ascending towards me. A helicopter, however, makes a noise, but at that moment, I could hear absolutely nothing, not even the slightest whistle. A balloon, maybe? By now, the object was about 20 meters above the ground, and I could see it had a somewhat flattened shape. It was a flying saucer. I had always believed in their existence, but I had never dreamed I would actually see one. It measured some 7 meters in diameter, about 2.5 meters in height, was flat underneath and cone-shaped. On its underside, a very bright red light flashed, while the top, an intermittent white light, reminded me of a camera flash cube. This white light was so intense that I could not look at it without blinking. The object continued to descend without the slightest noise until it stopped and hovered motionless about two meters above the ground. I was petrified and remained absolutely still. I was unafraid, but rather filled with joy to be living through such a great moment. I bitterly regretted not having brought my camera with me. <laughs> then the incredible happened. A trap door opened beneath the machine and a kind of stairway unfolded to the ground. I realized that some living being was about to appear, and I wondered what it was going to look like. First two feet appeared, then two legs, which reassured me a little, since apparently I was about to meet a man. In the event, what at first I took to be a child came down the stairway and walked straight towards me. I could then see this was certainly no child, even though the figure was about only four feet tall. His eyes were slightly almond-shaped, his hair was black and long, and he had a small black beard. I still had not moved, but he stopped about ten meters away from me. He wore some sort of green one-piece suit which covered his entire body, and although his head seemed to be exposed, I could see around it a strange sort of halo. It was not really a halo, but the air about his face shone slightly and shimmered. It looked like an invisible shield, like a bubble, so fine that you could barely see it. His skin was white with a slightly greenish tinge, a bit like someone with liver trouble. He smiled faintly. I thought it best to return his smile. I felt rather ill at ease. I smiled and bowed my head slightly in greeting. He answered with the same gesture, thinking that I had to find out if he could hear me. I asked, where do you come from? He answered in a strong, articulate voice that was slightly nasal, from very far away. Do you speak French? I inquired. I speak all the languages of the earth. Do you come from another planet? Yes, he replied. As he spoke, he moved closer and stopped about two meters from me. Is this the first time you have visited the earth? Oh, no. Have you been here often? Very often, to say the least. Why do you come here? Today, to talk to you. To me? Yes, to you, Claude Vorhillion, editor of a small motorsport magazine, married and father of two children. How do you know all that? We have been watching you for a long time. Why me? This is precisely what I want to tell you. Why did you come here on this cold winter morning? I don't know. I felt like walking in the fresh air. Do you come here often? In the summer, yes, but almost never in this season. So why did you come today? Had you planned this walk for a long time? No, I don't really know. When I woke up this morning, I suddenly had an urge to come here. You came here because I wanted to see you. Do you believe in telepathy? Yes, of course, it's something I've always been interested in, as well as the subject of flying saucers, but I never thought I'd see one myself. Well, I use telepathy to get you to come here because I have many things to tell you. Have you read the Bible? Yes, but why do you ask? Have you been reading it for a long time? No, as a matter of fact, I bought it only a few days ago. Why? I don't really know. Suddenly, I had an urge to read it. Again, I use telepathy to make you decide to buy it. I have chosen you for a very difficult mission, and I have many things to tell you. So come into my craft where we can talk more comfortably. 
I followed him, climbing up the small staircase beneath the machine, which on closer inspection looked more like a flattened bed with a full and bulging underside. Inside it, two seats faced one another, and the temperature was mild even though the door was still open. There was no lamp, but natural light emanated from everywhere. There were no instruments like those you find in an aircraft cockpit. The floor was made of a sparkling alloy, which was slightly bluish. The chairs were colorless and translucent, but very comfortable and made from one piece of material. I sat on the larger one that was set closer to the floor, so that face of the little man sitting in front of me was the same level as mine. He touched a spot in the wall, and the whole machine became transparent except for its top and bottom. It was like being in the open air, but the temperature was mild. He invited me to take off my coat, which I did, and he started to speak. You regret not having brought your camera so that you could have talked about our meeting with the whole world. With proof in your hands? Yes, of course. Listen to me carefully. You will tell human beings about this meeting, but you will tell them the truth about what they are and about what we are. Judging from their reactions, we will know if we can show ourselves freely and officially. Wait until you know everything before you start speaking publicly. Then you will be able to defend yourself properly against those people who will not believe you and will be able to bring them incontestable proof. You will write down everything I tell you and publish the writings as a book. But why did you choose me? I really like this part. For many reasons. First of all, we needed someone in a country where new ideas are welcomed and where it is possible to talk about such ideas openly. Democracy was born in France. And this country has a <laughs> reputation the world over for being the country of freedom. Uh-huh. Interesting. Uh, interesting take. Okay. Also, we need someone who is intelligent and quite open to everything. Above all, we needed someone who is a free thinker without being anti-religious. Because you were born of a Jewish father and a Catholic mother, we considered you to be an ideal link between two very important peoples in the history of the world. Okay. Besides, your activities do not in any way predispose you to making incredible revelations, and this will make your words all the more credible. Since you are not a scientist, you will not complicate things and will explain them simply. Not being a literary man, you won't compose elaborate sentences which are difficult to read for a great many people. Finally, we decided to choose someone who was born after the first atomic explosions in 1945, and you were born in 1946. We have in fact been following you since your birth, and even before. This is why we have chosen you. Do you have any other questions? So this is the kind of... Okay, so I just want to point out that, you know, I got a little bit uh, triggered by uh, something that's in Susan Palmer's book where uh, she has this little passage where she says, like, contemporary prophets are often not awarded the benefit of the doubt granted to the great prophets of history. We don't ask impertinent questions about Muhammad's experience in the caves of Hira, where the archangel Gabriel informed him that he was a messenger of Allah. Whereas 19th century historians attacked Muhammad as a charlatan, non-Muslims today would be reluctant to challenge the messenger Muslims call the seal of the prophets. First of all, non-Muslims today would not be reluctant to do that. You're talking about (laughs) people in your academic field who also, as you demonstrate, don't challenge aliens. But, you know, she she goes on to say... uh, you know, uh, his last sermon and his hadiths might even evoke a fleeting sense of awe and respect in the breasts of Western secular humanists who promote pluralism and tolerance. And yet Rael and his quote-unquote little green men are universally mocked. Why? Is it because a prophet's call must be shrouded in the midst of time before it can be awarded dignity? Is it because Muhammad has billions of followers to defend his name? No. The reason is because, like, he, she, the, uh, the Elohim give all these reasons, like, for, you know, democracy was born in France, <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> the country's known all over as a country of freedom, you were born a Jewish father, a Catholic mother, and then after all that is like, oh yeah, by the way, you're, the son, you're my son, like, I feel like that's the first thing at the gate, these are the reasons are irrelevant, like, you've been, like, culturally, you know, uh, but 
Anyway, true. So, I mean, did they say? Did they? Does he say in that first meeting? No, he that doesn't. You were the but he does say, "We have been following you since your birth, and even before. Uh, this is why we have chosen you." Do you have any other questions? But like later on, you know, it becomes clear. I mean, that's Rael's current doctrine. It's funny they so. call him half Jewish because, well, I mean, I guess maybe if Yahweh is your father, you are half Jewish. But like, yeah, exactly. You know, uh, mm. Raised by maybe what they meant, given the benefit of the doubt. But anyway, so where do you come from? He asks from a distant planet, which I will tell you nothing for fear that. Man of Earth might be unwise enough to disturb our peace. I don't know how they would, like, because they're obviously more advanced. But anyway, is your planet very far away? Yeah, very far. I, when I tell you the distance, you understand that it is impossible to reach it with your present level of scientific and technical knowledge. All right, whatever. What are you called? We are people like you. We live in a planet similar to Earth. How long does it take to come here? As long as it takes to think about it. Why do you come to Earth? To monitor and watch over the development of humanity. Human beings on Earth are the future. We are the past. Are there many people on your pl- planet? There are more people than on yours. I would like to visit your planet. Can I? No. First of all, you couldn't live there because the atmosphere is different from yours and you have not been trained for such a journey. Uh, But why meet here? Because the crater of Volcano is an ideal place away from irksome people. I shall leave you now. Come back tomorrow at the same time with the Bible and something to take notes with. Do not bring any metallic object and speak to no one of our conversation. Otherwise, we will never meet again. He handed me my coat, let me climb down the ladder, and waved his hand. The ladder folded up the d- and the door closed without a sound. Still, without making the slightest murmur of any whistling sound, the craft rose gently to a height of 400 meters and disappeared into the mist. So that was his first. And then they kind of do, like, a book study. Uh, and a bunch of other stuff happens eventually where, like, he gets to see... Uh, they do kind of take him to their planet eventually, despite the well, fact eventually. that, like, he but after he makes the it atmosphere... Public. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many little contradictions. Exactly. Like, you don't even have to, like, try really hard to find them. Like, for one, he's like, democracy was born in France. Like, even Jacques Vallée, I think, points this out in Messengers of Deception. You know, they're like, it's, but then they're actually anti-democracy. They think that people who aren't intelligent enough shouldn't be allowed to... They're pro geniocracy. Yeah, geniocracy. And then also, I remember him saying later that, like, when he did go to the planet, that the there was like an elite planet where like the best (laughs) of the best, Elohim and the ascended like people from Earth, got to live forever and clone themselves. And then there was like a small, there was like a a bigger planet where like normies, like normie Elohim lived. And I guess like they didn't get to clone themselves, but the numbers he gave out was like, Oh, on the elite planet, there's like 8,500 elite Elohim. And then on the big planet, there some really small number. It was like 50,000. Like, nor it almost sounded like the exact number of people in the Raelian movement, (laughs) you know, but it was Um, like, but then in the first one, he says, Oh, like how many people on your planet? And he's like, more that are on your planet. Yeah. So how that's a little bit contradictory, but yeah, like they just like are all over the place. Like you don't even have to try. Like you know, yeah. people spend so much time like pouring over older to try to find like you know, uh, for instance, the the Quran to try to point things out. Like, but like you die with this. Like they're all over the place. Yeah. But then, you know, so he has a series, uh, he claims, of kind of these sessions with the Elohim who is visiting yeah. him. And he writes down all these notes. And then he goes on a French talk show, yeah. right? And he gets, like, mocked. And he reveals, yeah, he reveals his fantastic story and gets a ton of media attention. A lot of people do make fun of him and are like, who is this guy? But then he releases a book pretty quickly, um, which was... Uh, I'm forgetting the French. Uh, le livre qui yeah. dit... Uh, la vraie? Le uh, vrai. Uh, yeah, yeah, la vraie. I always thought it was yeah, vrai. Probably is. Um, um, yeah. Anyways. 
But yeah, the book that tells the truth, which came out in 1974, is his first. That's yeah. what you just read from. That's his first account of all of this. And then he comes out not long after that. I think in 75, he comes out with the, I think, perfectly titled uh, Space Aliens <laughs> yeah, Took Me to Their definitely Planet. definitely a better and more precise <laughs> title than uh, his last one. So yeah, then, then he talks about how like later, I, I assume after his first public exposure of this and also saying that I have been designated as this prophet, yeah. right? They take him to his planet and that is a whole, it's a huge part of Raelian lore. Also, he adopts the name, right? Like yeah. after he goes public, he adopts right. the name Rael and also adopts a symbol that he saw yes. on the UFO, which I think we, we have Yeah, to we definitely should get to this because um. this is really something that <laughs> sticks out. Um, it is... It's a huge yes. pillar of real, realianism. It is basically, I mean, if you look at them up today, you'll see it. It is basically a Star of David, like, intertwined with a swastika in the yeah. middle of it. And to be fair, it's like, it's a, it's not a tilted swastika, so blah. They they have a whole thing. I think they have a, a website called proswastika.com. <laughs> well, yeah, they participated in, like, day. some kind of, like, swastika rehabilitation rally. Like, they, this is, like, yeah. what is, this is another amazing thing about the Elohim is that they, for one, you know, they're kind of, like, it's complicated because, like, Elohim or Yahweh, he's just, like, a dude who has, like, a character arc in a way, and he, like, at first isn't, like, really down with humanity, uh, and actually Lucifer has to sort of convince him to value human beings. There's some real Eurantian yeah, stuff going on in the, in the yeah, creation. Yeah, there's some myth, weird basically. stuff. The, the alt but yeah, myth. one thing that is consistent in like his sort of characterization uh, in terms of vis-a-vis uh, -vis Yahweh in the, in the Old Testament or in the Hebrew Bible, I should call it that, he, like he considers Jews his chosen people. And part of Rael's yeah. main mission is that he wants to establish an embassy for the Elohim like in Jerusalem, like right near Masjid Al-Aqsa slash the Temple Mount or whatever, you know, that's a big, mm -hmm. like crucial thing that he has to do. Huge plank of, yet, the, of the movement. They yes. let him <laughs> choose for his symbol, like the most inflammatory possible thing, which is a star of David with a swastika yeah, exactly. inside of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> which like really was a problem for him because he tried to get the Israeli government for years to like let him give him land or let him buy land to build this embassy, and like it basically Israeli society in general, like, nobody wanted to fuck with him because he had this swastika. So eventually, he created like an alternate yeah. logo, which is still he still uses the he swastika does, yeah. to this day, and a lot of followers wear the the big pendant. But now it has kind of like a spiral in the center of the Star of David. Instead of, you know, a, uh, which is still kind of a swastika. I mean, the, the swastika in a way is like a spinning yeah, wheel, yeah. right? And if you put some jagged edges on it, it would be a black sun. But it, it, yeah, it's, smooth, it's so uh, not as Nazi right. related. I mean, it kind of. Um, so they use that in Israel. Exactly. Yeah, they use that <laughs> under circumstances where, you know, they want to kind of, you know, play the uh, play the swastika thing closer to chess. But they haven't really let go of it. I mean, even. If you look at the cover of the book that tells the truth, the original cover, it's like even more glaring, like just a straight up swastika. They kind of modified it so that it's like integrated with the Star of David design. So then that's like the more common one that they have like on their medallions and everything. So it's gone through a couple of transformations, but the mm -hmm. Elohim weren't, they've been watching humanity for all these years. 
and they want him, they insist that, you know, it says, they explain they do not choose to land openly and officially in any one country because that would involve violating our planetary airspace, both at national and international levels. Landing anywhere at all might also seem to imply approval of that particular country's government and philosophy, and they do not approve of any existing nation on Earth. Okay. They therefore need a diplomatic embassy of their own with the kind of extraterritorial rights enjoyed by any respected willing diplomat in a foreign state. Since their first embassy on Earth was Jerusalem's first temple, they have asked for their new modern embassy to be built as close as possible to the most ancient of all cities in the heart of Israel. Okay, so mission immediately failed to, like, avoid political <laughs> implications. But whatever. So, yeah, right? these Elohim yeah, suck. Yeah, okay, Elohim. Like, they're, you know, that's why people don't take this seriously. They're sus, they're honestly. Sus. That's the other thing Palmer points out about uh, the Raelian movement is that it's one of the few kind of UFO cults that doesn't have any kind of mythology of evil aliens. It's very Demi Lovato pilled of like, they're all, they all love us. They're all here to help us ascend. Like there's yeah. nothing, you know, it's like, it would be very at home on Gaia, but even Gaia dabbles in right. like the evil Draco That's and stuff that like that. This is like him apart kind of is that in a lot of these groups, there really is like at least, they're like it's much it's much more toned down than it is in some of these groups, you know, like the sort of persecution complex or the sort of like cabal globalist element, you know, like usually there's a group of evil yeah. beings who are like in league with the Draco or something's wrong with them, and like a, there's a big emphasis on them. Whereas with Rail, it's more like you know the media is being mean to me, like they're lying. You know. Well, he does. He does have enemies, but they're very yeah. terrestrial compared to other right. groups. Like I think the biggest ideological and kind of um, yeah, like theological enemy is the Catholic Church. But he also went on certain, particularly when the clone drama kicked up around like the Y two K era. He started going off on how like the CIA and French intelligence were going to oh, assassinate yeah, him, right. and George Bush and Jacques Chirac mm -hmm. wanted him dead, and all that. He gets into even some like PTK like conspiracy theories about how like the CIA is going to use MK Ultra right. schizophrenics I to like assassinate this. him. Ends up the Abraham Project is what he called it. I looked it up; like it's never been mentioned by anybody but mm -hmm. Rael. And I guess some of the followers said, like early on in the seventies and the eighties, he would talk a lot about, uh, like he he had a, a very kind of anti-capitalist and anti-imperialist kind of tinge to a lot of the things he was saying. But over time, some people said that seemed to kind of drop off by the 90s and he got more kind of like motivational speaker-ish yeah and just kind of like new agey about everything and then started praising people like uh bill gates yes i remember you know i read the uh, like the that guy who goes by like x rael yeah yeah he's, he's like the uh yeah one of those people which apparently is a thing where like they leave a religion and then their whole identity becomes about how they've left their religion which uh you know i guess is oh, more yeah. justifiable with raelianism than uh you know the form of it that i'm most familiar with but yeah he was pointing out that he was originally kind of anti-capitalist but then he was like bill gates is a great man like he needs more money like you know we all need ferraris well, then, yeah, and then his followers started telling people for the first time to, like, donate money directly to Rael. So <laughs> yeah, and all the bishops. For access to the full-length episode, subscribe to the Hour of Frequency at patreon.com slash subliminal jihad.
vous a fait des cathédrales, des temples et puis des mosquées, fabriquer des dieux de métal, vous qui ne vouliez qu'être aimé, et l'on vous a dit des prières, sans penser à ce qu'on disait, et l'on a même fait des guerres, faisant croire. Que vous les souhaitiez